0: And the first one, 1 Corinthians 2, starting at verse 1. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And then 2 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 1, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. I'm Stephen. I know, and we don't normally do like to welcome. him? Kind of. In fairness, you're not really a kind of a, you know completely unknown to most of us. But this is Stephen Girling. Um, two things I'd quickly say. One of which is you are rural dean which basically means, whatever the colloquial word is for a group of Anglican vicars, uh, please don't repeat it, that you're sort of semi-responsible for us in Bath, so that's one of the things, so I won't explain that. But the other thing is, one of your job titles is described as an Abbey Mm missioner. What does that mean?
2: Thank you. So, (laughs) yes, I'm one of the three full-time clergy at Bath Abbey, Um, so I'm responsible basically for outreach. Um, I get to play, <laughs> so and that outreach is is fifty percent of that is really with the half a million visitors we get every year, half a million in normal times. Um, that's visitors from around the UK and overseas to make sure that when they come to the Abbey, when they come through those doors, they experience something of Jesus. Now that might be through the chaplain, it might be as they light a candle. It might be through whatever they read on the, um, in terms of interpretation. Uh, it might be through art exhibitions we stage, any number of things. Um, a lot of people come in uh, wanting to rest their feet. They want to know something about the history, the architecture, because it's safe to talk about history and architecture <laughs> and that stuff. But it, The lovely thing is, it's so easy to talk about Jesus. You're, you're, you talk, you know, you're talking to people about, oh, a beautiful east window. Oh, yes. 56 panels in the east window of the life of Jesus. I mean, so, so that's part of my role. The other part of my role is, uh, in terms of outreach, working with partners in the city, other churches, working ecumenically with the universities, with the mayor's office, I mean, you name it. I mean, one of the joys of working at the Abbey is people want to come and do things at the Abbey. Um... And I get the opportunity to say yes or no, and um, if, if the answer is yes, to, to work with you. So this last weekend, yesterday and Friday, we've had the university graduations in. Um, so really quality hospitality is what we offer. And then a member of the clergy, the ministry team, mostly the clergy, uh, welcome every graduation in, and we pray. Yeah, you know, we say this is a place of celebration and thanksgiving in these moments. And so we, we put God right, we invite God to be right at the heart of these amazing occasions. So yeah, that's principally what I do.
1: Great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming to share with us this morning. Um, great passages. Can we pray? Can I pray for you? Yeah, that that'd be good. Right? And then thank I'll you. leave you to get on with it rather than me waffle. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your hand upon Stephen's life. I want to thank you for all that you've placed in him and on him for this time and for this season. And Father, as all of us across this city begin to think, how are we going to do life now? I continue to ask your blessing on him, pray your protection on him, give him wisdom and guidance. And Father, we ask this morning as he opens God's word up to us, that our hearts would be receptive and open to what you have for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tim, can I just give you that? Yeah, sure. Yeah.
2: Thank you. And uh, thank you for your warm welcome. I say it was, it was lovely to start out there, in the public, in the open air, in the sunshine. Really good coffee. I don't know who made the coffee, but thank you. Yeah, really enjoyed it. So, spirit, power, and weakness was the subject Tim gave me. Uh, Let let me just spend a moment talking about those three terms. Now, when we use the word spirit in the season of Pentecost, it's it's tempting to think about Holy Spirit, and sometimes at Pentecost we have a sort of a a rush of charismatic blood and the Holy Spirit comes to the fore. I'm not denying that's that's not important, of course that's important, but what I want to talk about in the context of spirit power and weakness is the Spirit of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rather than compartmentalize as Holy Spirit. So, the Spirit of the living God. Secondly, weakness. We're all fully aware of weakness of the body, of the mind, and of the human spirit. But underlying all of those, I suggest, in how we live our lives and live them well, is the weakness of our spiritual disposition, our spiritual disposition, the way we're disposed towards God. You see, if we, if we have a weak spiritual disposition, then we will struggle with all those weaknesses that come through our bodies, our minds, and our spirits. So, I want to talk about the the weakness of our spiritual disposition. And then power, finally. In the season of Pentecost, we might think, when we think of Paul's, uh, Peter's sermon in Jerusalem, we might think of God's power to save. Wasn't that fantastic? All those thousands of people came to faith in Jesus. We might think of the, in the book of Acts, of God's power in signs and wonders. You know, extraordinary outpouring of supernatural power of God's spirit. And more widely, there's the the power of the birth of human beings. I mean, that's, that's a miracle. There's the power of nature. All demonstrations of God's power. They're all examples of what I want to call God's agency. God at work in his world. God's agency. Which is principally about the power of his love. Boil it all down. God's agency is principally about the power of his love. Thomas Merton, who was a monk in the uh, 19... He died in the mid-50s, I believe. He said this. He said, God has no capacity for love. Well, I heard that. I thought, what? God has no capacity for love because God is love. So he created this order with a capacity for love. And folks, don't we know that love makes you weak? We were created beautifully weak. Love makes one weak when facing the love of God and when facing the beloved. So I want to talk about the power of love. What I'm offering you, therefore, from these two scriptures and my own experience is this. The Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of the living God, through the power of love, offers to help us in the weakness of our spiritual disposition. I think if we can understand just a little bit of that, as I'm trying to understand it, then we'll live well. And I'm going to bring us into land on Romans 8:28, a very well-known verse in evangelical circles. All things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So, I don't know, in in front of you, or the text behind you, I don't know, any, or on your phones. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 to 10. Paul boasting of his weakness. At a recent job interview for a new incumbent, we framed this question. What would your closest friends and colleagues say are your weaknesses? what would your closest friend and colleague say are your weaknesses? Now, would you offer, with that in mind, the job to Paul who says, I'm content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For them, whenever I'm weak, then I'm strong. It is actually a good question for a job interview because it's it's not trying to discover what those weaknesses are. It's trying to discover whether the person has a good measure, a reasonable understanding of their weaknesses, and is able to accept them and embrace them and, you know, make them part of the peace, as it were. Would we offer Paul the job? I love that song that we sung just now. Um, how's it go, James? Cornerstone, yeah, I knew. I forget the words. Christ alone, cornerstone, wheat made strong. How in the Saviour's love, wheat made strong in the Saviour's love. My observation of much intercessory prayer and prayer ministry in the church is that we want God to remove our weaknesses our hardships, our calamities. We want God to get rid of everything that, all those people that might insult us or persecute us. We don't want any of that. If God's answer to your prayer is, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness, will your eye be content with that? We sing about it. But if that's God's answer, my grace is sufficient for you. Can we say with Paul, whenever I'm weak, I'm strong. How can that be? Only through the power of love. Only through the power of love. Now Paul is talking about boasting in this passage. An odd subject for our ears. He's talking about what we take pride in. He's talking about what literally helps us carry our head high. That's what the word means. He could have boasted about the visions and revelations he'd had from God. But he knows his ego is such that he would be basking in the glory if he told people about these visions and revelations and not God. So he said, no, I'm not going to boast about that stuff. Because it'll run away with me. I'm going to boast in God, and his thorn in the flesh keeps him in check, keeps his ego under control. Perhaps it was a person, this thorn in the flesh, who was a constant irritant, perhaps it was something physical, we know Paul had poor eyesight, perhaps it was his weakness as a public speaker, as we shall see in a moment in that first passage. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was, actually we don't need to know what the thorn in the flesh was. What well, we do know that his, was that his weakness gave him a spiritual disposition towards the power of the love of God. That's why he's strong when he's weak. His weaknesses cause him to lean into God. His weaknesses cause him to cast himself on God's mercy. And when you lean into God and cast yourselves on God's mercy and know that all you have, at the end of the day, is love, all is stripped away, then, then you are strong. It is a position of extraordinary strength that I just occasionally glimpse, and I certainly glimpse it in others, What then about our first passage, 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5, what did Paul mean? That his message and his preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. My message and my preaching is not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Was he referring to power visible in signs and wonders? We know he did miracles. Miracles that supported his preaching, just as Jesus' miracles supported his preaching. I don't think Paul is talking about that. Paul is talking about the message itself that he preached. The message was its own power. The message was its own power. I'm not denying there were signs and wonders but signs and wonders are only a means to an end. They're not an end in themselves, which is why Jesus was often quite reticent to do miracles because he knew that people would latch onto the miracle when the point of the miracle was it point who it points to. I'm not denying signs and wonders, but it was the power of the message itself that was significant for Paul. Though, as speech, his message was poor, in worldly terms, it was persuasive. It had power. Now, why was that, do you think? I suggest it was because it was firmly rooted in the convictions of his heart, a heart which knew the power of love. He had been blinded by the power of love, literally. The power of love to have knocked all the worldly stuffing out of him. Do you remember? This is Paul, Hebrew of the Hebrews. In terms, what, what he saying say in Philippians? As one faultless in Pharisaic righteousness. As somebody who could hold their head up high in religious terms, he was right up there. And the power of love st- knocked all that stuffing out of him. So Paul was preaching with with conviction, in his bones, in his heart. That's all that matters. That's when you're strong. When I was in um, a Pathfinder's youth group at the age of 14, I was asked to lead the prayers, and uh, it was a time when my voice was breaking. And you can probably already imagine what happened During the prayers, my voice cracked to a squeal and I couldn't bring it back under control. And I I just wished the ground would open up under me. I wished I would never again see all those friends in the front row who went on to tease me. So when Paul writes that he came to the church in Corinth in weakness and in fear and in trembling, I get that. And when I said to my wife, I think the Lord might be calling me into ordained ministry, so her jaw dropped, and said, What? Because the number of times I had spoken in public since that occasion were few and far between. But that's the point, isn't it? That's exactly the point. God doesn't call us in spite of our weaknesses, God calls us because of our weaknesses. It's our weakness that makes it all about him and not about us. It makes it all about him and not about us. He says, my speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and the power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. At the end of chapter 1, Paul ends, of of, of 2 Corinthians, he ends with, sorry, 1 Corinthians. Um, He says this, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world. So that one who boasts, boasts in the Lord, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the power of your love. That's who I boast in. Worldly power, worldly power feeds off the bars of its reward, its adulation, its success. But the power of God has no reward. The power of God is its own reward. Because it comes from God in the power of love to the humble servant who returns it to the glory of God. It's actually amazing good news that God is less interested in our ability and more interested in our availability. He wants us to make ourselves available to the power of his love in our weakness. I'm not saying ability doesn't have its place, competency has its place. After all, we've got a competent person on the sound system, we've got competent people playing music. Ability and competency has its place, but what God is interested in is our availability. Do you know the best place to prove our ability and our competency in the church, do you know the best place to prove your ability and your competency in the church is wiping tables is wiping tables and stacking chairs when no one's looking. So somebody comes to me and says, Stephen, I'd love to offer four. First, I'll wait to see whether they're the sort of person who would wipe tables and stack chairs when no one's looking. Because that's the servant heart, isn't it? They are those who will be most likely to boast in the Lord. That's why Tim, Fran, myself, when we were ordained, we spent a year as a deacon. Not because you leave all that behind as a deacon, but that being a deacon remains in your blood and in your bones, so vicars should always, not always, but vicars should be occasionally wiping tables and stacking chairs, washing each other's feet, as it were, because we too are first and foremost servants of the living God, giving glory to him. Paul was upfront about his weaknesses. His letters exposed the weaknesses of the early church. That's why we have all these letters, because the early church was not some great, the early church was weak, all sorts of problems. I don't know your fellowship, but uh, as a, I know you're a biblical fellowship, but as a biblical fellowship, are you up front about your weaknesses with one another? Is it possible, is it okay for people to admit their weaknesses? Or do you feel you've got an image to prop up of muscular Christianity or some such? For myself, I've got a condition that I've suspected for some time that was only recently diagnosed. It's It's okay, it's not catching, unless you spend a long time working with me. And it's this, it's a weakness in my system called legacy fever. It's a weakness that causes me to be anxious if I'm not being useful or successful, or just plain busy. It's a weakness that causes me to pay far more attention to my ego than to the Holy Spirit of God. To walk not by faith, but by sight and my might. It's interesting. We, um, We have... 20 times as many memorials in the Abbey as we do here. Perhaps that's an exaggeration, maybe a lot. And I was sitting there thinking, I wonder how many of these people and their families who put these memorials here had legacy fever. If for me it's a weakness that has been most exposed in the last year when I spent much of my life on my back because I suffered with sciatica and during which I've been trying to work out how to relate to my father now that he has dementia and he too had legacy fever big time and suddenly, I say suddenly over the course of a year but thanks be to God it's a weakness by which I've known the power of God's love And I've been introduced to another stream of prayer called Contemplative Prayer. The prayer of the heart, stepping back from Stephen's prayers to allow Christ to pray in me. To allow the spirit to intercede with my spirit. Less about words, more about stillness, waiting on the grace of God. with no expectation of results whatsoever. It's wonderfully liberating to pray and not to expect anything to happen, because the power of love is its own answer. Knowing, for me, knowing that God's not looking for my success, he's only looking for my faithfulness. Faithfulness to the one that says, my grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. Can I just share a bit, just for a moment, about the picture in the deanery? There is a fundamental weakness, in my understanding at the moment, in the Anglican church at present, and it's also in this deanery. I think we become complacent about the way we do and are the church. I think because of the impact of COVID, and of a decade-long decline across the diocese of attending traditional ways of doing church, the amount of money coming into the deanery is reducing by 23% over five years. That's the equivalent of five vicars, five paid vicars. So to be a healthy and a growing church, because that's, I'm sure, what we want to be, to be a healthy and growing church, we're going to have to deploy our licensed and our authorized ministers differently. Some church buildings will find need closing, because we no longer need them, and we'll we'll be opening up other places for worship which are more suited. It's always been thus but we've just become rather complacent and used to the status quo. And it's as if the Lord's really shaking us up. Now, this process will make many in this deanery feel vulnerable. Less so, I probably, here at Walcott and for us at the Abbey but many of our brothers and sisters in this deanery will be feeling vulnerable, are feeling vulnerable. So our partnership as churches, weak in our weaknesses, our partnership as churches, trusting in the power of God's love to see us through, to guide us, will be absolutely important. Our partnership in the Anglican churches and ecumenically. We must discover that in our weakness is his strength. We must discover God's ways for us to be the church in this generation. Just as I close, I have spent my life in evangelical churches and uh, since the age of 13, well, no, since I was born, yeah, um, became a Christian at the age of 13, I love scripture, I'm so thankful for its deep foundations, but I have to confess that much of my Christian life I've been chasing a sort of muscular Christianity, chasing success. And often I found myself cloaking things in a sort of religious jargon, to look good, having a verse to quote for this, that or the other. I have to confess that I've fallen into the trap of making Scripture say what I want it to say and to cherry pick. So I said I'd land on a favorite evangelical text, Romans 8, 28. I've had this quoted to me so many times and I've quoted it to other people so many times. We know that, and I'm quoting it here from the New Revised Standard Version, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Who are called according to his purpose. Isn't that a fantastic verse? Read on its own like that. But read verse 26 and verse 27, read the two verses before. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes with the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Don't you see a very different flavor The flavor of the power of vulnerable love, when you see that verse in the context in which Paul writes it. Our vulnerability, our weakness, struggling to pray, and in the midst of all that, because of the power of love, we can, with Paul say, and in the midst of all, God's grace is sufficient, His goodness will see me through. If we're seeking a legacy, forget it. If we're seeking a successful church, forget it. If we just think it's all about keeping looking busy, forget it. Faithfulness in weakness, hallelujah. I can sign up for that and that's enough, thanks be to God. And I'm going to close with this beautiful reflection on the example of Christ the spiritual disposition of Christ. And this is um, words of St. Augustine. He lies in the manger, but contains the world. He nurses at the breasts, but feeds the angels. He is wrapped in swaddling clothes, but vests us with immortality. He found no place at the inn, but makes for himself a temple in the hearts of believers in order that weakness might become strong. Strength became weakness.